Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and We have officially finished our conference previews, getting ready for the 2020 college football season. Uh, If you haven't, you can go back and check the last six episodes. They're pretty evergreen. You can go and listen to the one from a month and a half ago, and it should still carry through uh, for what we're expecting here in the 2020 season. Obviously, look, there's still a lot to be uh, to determined, right? I literally, as we're sitting here recording this, you know, we're seeing reports that uh, NC State, their opener may be delayed due to COVID-19 protocols at that school, at that institution. We're seeing uh, new announcements every single day. So, all we can do on the show is we're just going to prepare as if the season is going to go off uh, to start. We, we have start dates for all, pretty much all the major conferences, all the ones that are going to play. It's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. We're just going to play it the, really as it comes here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. So the first kickoff could be just a couple weeks from now. So really what we're doing here on the show is this week we're going to kind of take stock of some of the big themes around the top offensive players, kind of pit some guys against each other. We're going to you know, look at some uh, opt-outs, right, guys that have officially declared for the 2021 NFL Draft. And then next week, we'll do the same thing on defense. That, that's kind of the goal here over the next couple of weeks. And then hopefully we're shifting into season mode, in season mode, here uh, after that defensive episode now, just two weeks from today. That being said, if you're a big fan of the show, if you listen and you love the show, the best way you can throw us your support is to go on to Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. If you leave a question, I guarantee you it will get answered if you put it on our Apple Podcast page. If you've got a mock draft that you want to get critiqued by our group, go on to Apple Podcasts, leave it in there, because guess what? We're doing that at the end today. We've got a mock draft uh, from a listener who left it onto our Apple Podcast page. We're going to hit on that at the very end of the show in Draft Mailbag. So, best way to throw us your support. Go on, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Greatly, greatly appreciate everybody. As we gear up for 2020, we've put in a lot of work. We've watched hundreds of players already uh, between Ben, myself, and Dane. The best way to kind of throw us your support, just go on, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. That being said, let's get into it now. It's time now for some Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. We're back again, once again, here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, our friends Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler. Guys, we've finished our conference previews, and so it's time now to just kind of hit the pause button. We're a couple weeks away, hopefully, fingers crossed, from uh, the start of the college football season. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of diff- all the different conferences have different schedules and things like that, but it looks like we're only a couple weeks away um, from the first real action kicking off. So I kind of thought, okay, today let's look at the offensive guys that we talked about over the last few weeks and really just kind of get a sense of, you know, pitting guys against each other. I've got a few questions I want to ask the group, and we'll all kind of chime in on some different topics. We'll do the same thing next week on the defensive side of the ball. One thing we will do every single week moving forward is just kind of take stock of the guys who have officially opted out. And it's a little bit of a, a confusing conversation right now because, um, you know, the NCAA – basically gave players a free year of eligibility. And I know that there's still things that are working out with that, but essentially, Dane, correct me if I'm wrong in terms of how I'm reading this, it seems like every player will essentially have to opt out of school and say, yeah, like I'm going to the NFL draft. Like I'm graduating and going to the league because the NCAA has said, yeah, like this year doesn't count. So if you want to stay for another year next year, you are very much open to do so. 
In normal years, seniors, uh, unless there's an injury or something during their final year, they've exhausted their eligibility. This year, every single player in college football, doesn't matter if you're a freshman or a senior or how many years you've played, every single player in college football has an extra year of eligibility next year because of this ruling by the NCAA. So along those lines of what you were saying, every player is going to have to declare for this draft. It's going to be really interesting to see how the NFL tracks it. If they just go each team, uh, each program has one representative, whether it's you know whoever their NFL liaison is, to communicate that with the league in terms of, okay, we've got you know, X amount of players who will be choosing to opt in and there will be some type of deadline. Uh, but this is unlike anything we've seen before. So it will be really interesting to see how the NFL does it because technically if I am, uh, you know, the Detroit lions and I'm working on all these players, I'm still going to study all the seniors. I'm still going to study all the draft eligible players, but when it comes to, to building our board and really getting down to whittling guys off our list and building things up in our war room, we need to know who's going to be in the draft. So it's not like a player, a senior will have up until April and say, you know what, I'm going, I'm just going back to school. There, there will be some type of deadline where they're probably in January. And then we get into, okay, what if these conferences are trying to do a spring season? So things are going to get really complicated, but with what we know right now, now things could always change because it's a very fluid situation with what we know right now, no matter who you are, senior, junior, underclassman, you will have to declare for this year's draft. And to me, the, the part of that, I still have not gotten a, a good explanation for this. How are each of these schools across all of the NCAA going to account for the influx of next year's recruiting class and all of those scholarships being added to the team? Because this isn't like monopoly money. Like this is actual <laughs> money that the university shells out for these players to be able to go to school. Like it has to, that, that money gets paid somewhere. So how are these schools going to be able to afford after not having this year's worth of TV money and ticket money and all that? It's going to be really, it's an interesting discussion. I'm fascinated to see how this plays out, if that can actually carry forward. I still have not seen a good explanation anywhere. And if anyone that's listening has seen it, please send it to me because I have yet to see anybody write about this and get good answers. So with that being said, what we'll do is every week, the players that have officially opted out of the 2020 season and I should say, have officially declared for the draft. So one player who has opted out of 2020, but has not really declared whether or not he's going to go for the draft is Oklahoma running back Kennedy Brooks. We talked about him in our big 12 preview. He opted out for 2020, will not play fall or spring, but did not say in that declaration whether or not he was going to enter the NFL. So we're not going to talk about him here. We will, however, talk about a bunch of guys who have said, yeah, I'm entering the NFL. We're going to start with a guy that we talked, by the time we recorded, I believe Rashad Bateman, the Minnesota receiver, had declared for the NFL draft when we had done our Big Ten preview. Dane, I'll come to you first. The impact, I guess, of a Rashad Bateman entering the draft uh, and not, you know, we're not going to see another down of him with the Minnesota Gophers. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure that we we needed to, um, to understand what kind of player he is. Uh, he's very savvy, very route conscious with his steps, understands how to manipulate coverage and set up defensive backs with his movements. And he's Got a little bit of juice after the catch, not a ton. I mean, he he will make some plays if the if the runway is there, but not a big make you miss guy. Basically, you're hoping he's going to be a Michael Thomas type of player in the NFL, and it's he's not going to run really well. I, I would guess somewhere between four five five and four six zero. 
not going to run super fast. And so, you know, there, but there are several uh, really talented receivers in the NFL who did not run fast from, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen. And, but, you know, all those guys are so proficient with their routes and understanding of how to play the position. And you think Rashad Bateman can be along those lines, but obviously it's, 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 it's pretty high praise to compare him to those types of receivers. So he's, Bateman will be – he won't be for everybody. He's going to be a really interesting test case with several teams because I think the uh, – you know, not every team with how their offense is set up, with the type of receiver they're looking for, it's not going to be a perfect fit for everybody. But uh, in the right situation, I, I do think he can thrive at the next level. Ben, is there anything that you would have wanted to see more from Rashad Bateman on the field? I, I feel like the stuff that we still have – any if you have any questions about – or stuff that he would get answered at a, a combine pro day, right? And to me, like, I thought we saw everything we would want on the field. Yeah, there's some uh, transition from being a stud young guy on the team to being the go-to guy in the offense. And I'd like to see him without a Tyler Johnson out there, maybe pulling some coverage. And same thing goes for Rondell Moore, you know, not playing yeah. last year after his prolific freshman season. I just want to see what it's like when defenses are starting to narrow in on him and knowing he's the go-to guy and not some unknown freshman uh, off the scene, but just want to kind of take a step back collectively at the group mm-hmm. of players opting out of the season and into the NFL draft here. These are a lot of kids from the 2018 recruiting class. And you have some guys with a lot of experience like Trevor Lawrence, two year starter, national championships, everything like that. You have the one year starter guys like Micah Parsons and Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman. But then you have guys like Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan who's a one-year starter, and you just haven't seen a whole lot. And then there's some guys like Ohio State's Nicholas Petit-Friere, who hasn't declared or anything, but these are guys from that same class that haven't played at all, really, that could essentially declare for the NFL draft without ever having a real resume in college. And it's getting to be a really interesting time period on, did you flash enough to get yourself sold to the NFL, or did you show too much maybe – to give them things to poke and prod and rip you apart. And it's just a wide, wide variety of experience from these guys. And some guys are multiple year starters and some guys have very little tape. And I just think it's really interesting, the diversity and experience. Yeah. And that's why I kind of wanted to just focus on the guys that definitely said, yeah, like in their announcement, entering the NFL draft, because uh, even a guy like uh, Jordan Reed, the tackle from Michigan state, he was a senior, but he announced like, Hey, like, I am going to opt out and I'm going to go back. I'm going to finish getting my degree. I'm going to take, I'm going to be a grad student and I'll be back from Michigan state next fall. That option is on the table for all those guys that have opted out. And so to me, it's going to, it's going to be very interesting. And you brought up Rondell Moore, Ben, he was the next guy I wanted to bring up with him. The big question was, what is he going to look like after the injury, right? Because he missed uh, a good chunk of the 2019 season. Uh, what was it? A hamstring. Uh, he had uh, something going on soft tissue that we would have just liked to see another year of him. When he was healthy in 2018, I mean, he was one of the most dynamic players in college football. And so I don't think there's huge, huge questions about his natural talent. It was more just like, all right, like, would like to see what you look like after the injury and if you're fully healthy. I don't know, Dane, if you had any other questions uh, with Rondell Moore. Well, it was interesting as I uh, mapped out my top 50. I did my first top 50 for the athletic, uh, came out today. So hopefully people can check that out. And as I was doing it, I found Rondell Moore to be the toughest guy on my list just where to put him because uh, you know you see the talent but he's a guy that has not played it would be two years now basically he played first four games last year before his injury you could tell I mean after the first two games uh, games three and four he just wasn't the same 
and then obviously not going to play this year. And so there's obvious questions there. And we're talking about a guy that's 5'9", a buck 80. So right there, that's going to make him not for everybody in terms of what they're looking for and with their scheme and their offense. So Rondale Moore is a really tough guy to peg. And, you know, Jamar Chase is the top receiver. And then after that, there's a lot of discussion about who that number two receiver is. And I think it's just going to come down to what you're looking for, both talent-wise and scheme-wise. So it's going to be different for every single team. I don't think we're going to have any type of consensus in terms of you know the top five wide receivers. But I do think Rondell Moore is in there because going from one of the best freshman seasons we've ever seen at the position to not playing the last two years, that'll be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of NFL evaluators. You know, and I'll keep taking a step back with all these situations and conversations. We're essentially talking about an 18-year-old who we're evaluating on tape and then seeing what we're getting as a 20, 21-year-old into our building. And could there be a more turbulent time in young adults' life from 18 to 21 as far as changing mentally, physically, everything, you know, going on in their lives and trying to figure out their lives and being an adult and being a professional. And I mean, it's just such a turbulent, unexpected evaluation when you're getting these young kids that you might not have seen on the field for two years. Like, what are you getting as far as the mental makeup, the physical makeup, his development and maturity on and off the field? There's just so many questions with these kind of age range players and the the lack of experience. And the good news for Rondell Moore in that situation is that all the word out of Purdue is that he is aces in those categories across the board. Uh, next one, we're going to hit Wake Forest wide receiver, Sage Surratt. And they, the ACC is playing football this year. They, the first two guys we talked about from the Big Ten, obviously not playing, but Sage Surratt saying, you know what, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to enter the NFL draft. Guys, what, what was your first reaction when you, when you saw Sage Surratt? Were, were you guys surprised at all that he made the announcement or what was the, the initial response? Yeah, I was a little surprised because you know, this is a guy that could have declared after last year, but he decided to come back to school. And so I was a little surprised that he decided to opt out. But, you know, it's his decision. And uh, yeah, he's a really interesting player because he's he's big and physical, former basketball player, former, you know, do everything type of athlete in high school. There's some J.J. Arcega white side to him because he will create some of that late separation with his long arms. Uh, you know, he does do an Outstanding job, isolating the football, finishing strong, the body strength. He'll force defenders to bring their big boy pants to get him on the ground after the catch. He can make adjustments on the football, but he's just not going to run very fast. He's not going to have an impressive 40-yard dash. Um, And so there are questions about his ability to separate. But he is a guy that has body control. He has power. uh, And, you know, he can play in the NFL. It's just, uh, again, a matter of scheme and opportunity and, you know, where he fits best. And I I thought, honestly, like I talked about, you know, with Rashad Bateman, we wanted to see, okay, what is he going to look like in shorts and a T-shirt? How is he going to test? I think it's more of a question with Surratt. And Mm. I think Surratt has – those technical refinements that we want to see. Like he's got a lot of the things that I like about Bateman. Surratt's got that. It's just a matter of like that ability to separate how much juice does he have combine the pro day could be huge for, for Sage yeah. Surratt and his overall evaluation because the tape otherwise is very, very good. I would say there's another big receiver guys who also uh, entered the draft and opted out. And that's Colorado state wide receiver, Warren Jackson. You know, this is a guy that's been on the radar now for a couple of years. I remember him first flashing when I studied Michael Gallup a couple of years ago when he was coming out of Colorado State. He enters the draft. We talked about him a few weeks ago, but Ben, I'm going to go to you first here. What were your thoughts in terms of Warren Jackson when you've evaluated, when you've seen of him, and you know, ultimately how he can translate to the NFL? 
Well, he was heading into his senior year. This, man, this guy is a tall, long glass of water at 6'6", 220 pounds with pretty good athleticism. He had a monster year last year with 77 catches, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. And we've seen the pedigree they've been pumping out out of Colorado State with Michael Gallup and B.C. Johnson and Preston Williams and Rashard Higgins over the last couple of years. But this kid's been on the field for a good two and a half years. He's shown enough tape. He was productive in the Mountain West last year. I think seeing these 2020 seniors deciding to come out is more than appropriate, especially guys that have been to two and a half year starters. I'm more than okay with a player like Warren Jackson coming out. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, he was, I have this verified measurements here, 605, 6212. So just under, just a hair under 6'6", over 33 inch arms. The scouts have him uh, listed as a 452 in the 40 yard dash. So pretty good speed for that size. So I think, you know, the raw measurables are what you want to see. And, you know, I I think there's still some more he could have proven with another season, but I understand why a player like this would be coming out. Yeah. My big thing, you know, watch He plays the ball really, really well in the air. He's got really natural ball skills. This is a guy that you can trust in those contested catch situations, all that. It was more it, kind of similar to Sage Sherratt that like, all right, can he separate an NFL level? I just don't know if he's got the refinement that we've seen from Sage Sherratt over the course of his career. But whole work vertical, you mentioned the four five two speed. He knows how to stack press corners and get on top and uh, you know, you know, kind of use his frame to his advantage. He's got great height. He's got a really muscular frame. I mean, he really looks the part. Only a one-year starter, but has been productive throughout the course of his career. I'm interested to see what Warren Jackson looks like. Hopefully uh, we'll see him at the senior bowl and whatever the senior bowl looks like here this off season. All right, guys. So we've talked about a bunch of receivers so far, a couple of offensive linemen, one of which uh, we did talk about in our big 10 preview. That's Northwestern's Rayshon Slater. The other we didn't, and that's Michigan right tackle Jalen Mayfield. Now I want to start with Mayfield here, guys, because we did not talk about him in the big 10 preview. Only a one-year starter at right tackle did participate at left tackle the previous season. So he's got some proven versatility I thought he's a well-rounded player. I would have liked to see another year, you know, and just see like, okay, like, can he take that next step? But it, there's a, a lot to like there, Dane. I feel a hundred percent the same way. And I, I think this is probably a tough decision for him. It, he saw four of his teammates on the offensive line last year from last year, get drafted in April. So he yep. was going to be the only returning starter for the Wolverines on that offensive line. And everything that everyone that I talked to on campus from that program said the coaches just absolutely love him. Clearly a talented guy. When you watch his tape, he just, I don't know, he leaves you wanting more. Like it just, he's not quite all the way there yet, but he's getting there. I know he's on his way. And so I think another year would have been really beneficial for his long-term development and just becoming a more complete player. And so he's going to be a really tough player to project uh, in the draft. I, I think you feel good about who he is right now. It's just, what is he going to look like next year? What is, what is he going to bring to your football team for the 2021 season? I mean, do you think he can compete for a starting job? I just don't know that he's ready for that yet. And so he is a tough guy to peg. I, he just snuck into my top 50 at you know, 48, 49, something like that, because I think the talent is there. It's just, it's not all realized talent at this point. You know, he was surrounded by so many seniors last year in that huddle. You mentioned those four offensive linemen, Shea Patterson. This is a guy that showed up to Michigan at about 290, played last year at 319. So a guy that's put on some weight, still learning how to be functional with that weight. Only a one-year starter at right tackle. Fran, you mentioned those couple spot duties at left tackle as a true freshman. was really just in a couple games there. But a guy that's added 20 pounds in the last year and a half, 
just want to see more out of him on the field. I thought he was a guy that really struggled with some more athletic edge rushers, and he's more of a a prodigy developmental player that he could end up being a perennial Pro Bowl NFL player. He's got that pedigree and that ability. He's just not there yet. But if an NFL scout or an offensive line coach sees the potential and sees the development, he's only 20 years old. He might be a guy to, you know, is a day two, early day three player that you shelf for two years and then ends up being a a nice player down the road. And we're going to have a couple players like that that are maybe drafted a year or two early that aren't ready to go yet, but can still be very productive and potentially elite players in the NFL. That was kind of how I viewed it. I didn't view him as like having a huge, huge ceiling. Like I didn't see a guy that I was like, oh man, like this guy's going to go to multiple pro bowls and be just a, you know, a glass eater up front, a guy that, you know, one of the best linemen on his team. But I felt like he had a high floor because I just felt like you were checking a lot of boxes. Like he's not super powerful. That was the only real big negative I had in terms of like the physical tools, but solid athlete, Solid feet. I thought he recognized things well up front. He had a solid anchor. I talked talked about the proven versatility. We've talked about many times about how important that is along the offensive line. He plays with good pad level, good leverage. He understands how to surface blocks in the run game. Like I would have really liked to see just one more year. But based off you know not seeing another down, I think he's got starting potential. I think he could be a starter in the league. Yeah, you can watch him in that bowl game against Alabama, some NFL-level defenders there. or Even watch him against Penn State and Shaka Tony, who's a really athletic edge rusher. Sometimes Tony would get around him with his speed, but the second Mayfield got his hands on him, he would drive him 10, 15 yards down the field. But this whole conversation, I'm just getting worried about the upside potential of these young guys. And are we ever going to get into the conversation of a kid out of high school maybe sitting for a year, two years, redshirting and not ever seeing the field in college and just getting picked off of high school potential and upside. And it feels like that kind of conversation with these one year starters from high school. I've had that conversation with a few people over the last like couple of weeks about like the XFL and like, Oh, can the XFL go? I really don't see that as happening for a lot of reasons. We could probably do a whole podcast on, on why with the way that everything is built, the way that everything is constructed. It would be really surprising to see if we did go down that path. But one last guy I want to talk about, Dane, I know you're a big fan of uh, Northwestern's Rayshon Slater. You talked about him in our Big Ten preview. Uh, you had alluded to the fact that he was the one guy who really stood tall uh, against Chase Young last year, and I, and I 100% agree. To me, like, we've seen this guy a ton uh, already so far. Uh, a three-year starter, his first three years at Northwestern. Is there too much more that we needed to see from Slater? I don't necessarily think so. But, again, a rising senior, Big Ten's not playing, kind of a slam-dunk decision for Slater. Yeah, exactly. He he did not, unlike Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman, he waited until the Big Ten unequivocally said, no, we're not playing this year uh, in the fall. So he waited until that happened. Once that decision was made, he opted out. He said, I'm going to get ready for the draft. And I don't blame him. If the draft were tomorrow, I think he sneaks into round one. He might as well start his draft prep now, play in the senior bowl, hopefully if we have one and whatever the combine looks like. And there will be, you know, I've talked to some scouts who think that he's going to have to move to guard or even center uh, to make it in the NFL. But I mean, listen, if a guy like, you know, Isaiah Wynn can stay at tackle, uh, you know, why can't Rayshon Slater? I, I think he has enough of what it takes to stay outside, even though he's going to get dinged for the lack of length. Obviously, that's not something he can improve by playing anymore at the college level. So not a big surprise that he opted out. 
And just to paint the picture on what we're dealing with, these prospects, Slater versus Mayfield. Slater has about 2,000 more snaps than Mayfield. Right. Yep. 2,700 career snaps. I don't know how many starts he has, but left tackle, right tackle, been on the field a ton. He's a guy that I don't think anyone was worried about seeing anymore uh, in college. Yeah, 38 career starts uh, entering his senior season. So figured this guy would have ended his career with 50 starts uh, if he had been able to play his senior year. Plenty of tape out there. Uh, on Rayshon Slater. Did, All right. Am, am yeah. I crazy to think he's a first round pick? Did you? I don't, did you... I don't view him that way, okay. but the guy that I wrote down as a comp was a first round pick. I, I wrote down Lakin Tomlinson, and Tomlinson was a first round pick. So I didn't see him that way, but I know there are a lot of people in the league that, that really like Slater. It's kind of crazy, but uh, he would be the first first round pick of the Fitzgerald era at Northwestern. Hmm which would be, you know, Northwestern's not obviously not known for pumping out a ton of NFL players, but I was surprised to learn that he would be the first first round hmm. pick in the current coaching era, which has been around for a while. He's been, I was just going to say, he's been there for uh, a long yeah. while. All right. All right, guys. So no Big Ten this year, no Pac-12. I wanted to ask you guys a question, and we'll, we'll do the same thing next week on defense. Let's each pick one offensive senior. just want to go senior, not underclassman here, from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten that we wish we could have seen play this fall, but won't obviously because of the conferences canceling the season. We'll say why I'll kind of kick things off and I'm going to go with the big 10. I picked Michigan wide receiver, Nico Collins. And this is a guy, big physically imposing kid. I'm not sure if we talked about him in the big 10 preview or not, but uh, I did enjoy watching him on tape. He can go up and fight for the football. He moves pretty well for a guy, his size. He's not like an elite level athlete, but uh, this is a big, strong kid. He uses his frame really, really well. You know, really looks the part. I'd like to see him get a little bit better as a route runner. That's the one thing I'd li- really like to see from him this year. But he goes up and he battles at the catch point. I love the way he attacks the football. Keep in mind, they lose Tariq Black. They use Donovan Peoples-Jones. What does he look like now as the real focal point? I mean, a lot of people felt like Nico Collins was the guy last year. But what does he look now as the real focal point going into his senior season? Uh, obviously, a new quarterback situation there as well uh, in Michigan. Would have liked to see Nico Collins line up this fall here, uh, Dane. Yeah, he's kind of reminds me a little bit of they're different, but I really like Colin Johnson going into last year. Okay. And yeah. I see a little bit of that with Nico Collins. But he was, I mean, Michigan had a pretty talented receivers last year. There were a lot, a lot of them were unproven, you know, with Donovan Peoples Jones, Tariq Black, but it was consistently Collins who stood out, very strong at the catch point. I think that, you know, even though, you know, he's, Devontae Smith is the top senior wide receiver this year. Uh, in this class. I think Nico Collins is too. I have him above Tylen Wallace. I've got him above, you know, Mark West Stevenson, whoever else that you have in the top five, top six uh, of the senior receivers. I think Nico Collins is clearly the number two guy behind Smith. He's a great player. Ben, who's your, uh, who's your pick here for the big 10? You know, there's a number of directions to go there, but I'll tell you, if Nico Collins runs in the four fours, like it's uh, being sold on the freak list over the summer at 6'4", 220, yeah. he's going to be in pretty rare company there. And I think he'll easily squeeze in a probably day two off of those metrics. If we see right. guys like John Baldwin going in the first round and Doriel Green Beckham, and hasn't been a lot of projection to the NFL, but we've seen guys lately. DGB's not bad. Uh, you know, Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, obviously getting a lot of draft buzz for their being 6'4", 220. But I'm going to go with uh, one of these Ohio State Buckeyes because there's a lot of talent behind the scenes there, that starting unit. And one of these guys, Jonathan Cooper, five-star, tons of upside, tons of potential. They were so excited to get this kid. 
he's really only been healthy for one season. Only played in four games last year. Had to take a red shirt, but he's a senior. He's a graduate. He's a captain. He's been stuck behind guys like Chase Young and Nick Bosa. Tons of potential. Just needs to stay healthy and get an opportunity to not be stuck behind another star. And 2020 was going to be his opportunity to kind of be the guy on that line with some other veterans on that Ohio State defense that you don't typically see all those seniors. But Jonathan Cooper is a guy with a lot of potential, just hasn't been on the field a whole lot in his four-year career at Ohio State. Dane, who's your pick here for the Big Ten? I'm going to cheat and say two. All right. Um, Chris Evans from Michigan, the running back. Okay, who, sure, yep. Missed all of last year due to an academic issue. Again, talking to Michigan guy, they think he's one of the most explosive players on the team. And he so he's really, a true freshman. Like he was making oh, play. Yeah. I forget who the other back was that year, but he was the guy who really stood out on tape. Absolutely. I mean, you, you see that home run ability that he has, you know, just leaking out of the backfield as a receiver, whatever, just get the ball in his hands, let him create. So I was really excited to see him back on the field, see what he could do. Uh, and then the second guy, uh, Alaric Jackson at Iowa, who – he had a lot of pub, you know, Tristan Wirfs and Alaric Jackson, the bookend tackles for the Hawkeyes. And Tristan Wirfs, to me, lived up to the, you know, the hype on tape, where Alaric Jackson, uh, not so much. I mean, he leaves you wanting a lot more. Um, and at this point, after last year being his junior year, I, you know, you were looking at him as a day three player. And I thought, okay, he's going to need a bounce back senior year to get back into that uh, top four round discussion. And unfortunately, he's not going to have that opportunity. Uh, two good picks there, uh, for sure. I'm going to go to the Pac-12 here. For me, offensively, senior that I would really like to see was USC wide receiver Tyler Vaughns. And this is a guy, Ben, you and I both really like receivers that are built like this in terms of like how sharp he can be in and out of cuts, really great snap as a route runner, can play all three wide receiver positions, has shown, has shown that. I would have really liked to see, hey, with Michael Pittman gone, a lot of targets available uh, in that offense. Obviously, I'm on Ross St. Brown, uh, another high-level target in that passing offense. They love to throw the ball uh, out there. USC, obviously, in that scheme, would have really liked to see another year of Tyler Vaughn's. And, you know, to me, like, the biggest question I had about him was his ability to play through contact from snap to whistle. Like, I just wanted to see him finish a little bit better at the catch point when he's got a, a body on his back. If he's playing through contact mid-route, being able to, to hold his stem and, and tr- still maintain that ability to create that separation. Would have really liked to see a little bit more from Tyler Vaughn's there, but this is a guy that I think has, has an NFL skill set for sure. Ben, who's your guy from the Pac-12? You know, Tyler Vaughn's just an interesting body type. He's 6'2", 185, so yep. he's that tall, slender, lean frame that typically those guys are really loose and can get themselves open, but the play strength, getting knocked off their routes. I was just watching a kid from UCF. Trey Nixon, similar kid, yeah. 6'3", 180, really that type of basketball player body. But Tyler Vaughn, he took ballet classes in high school. This guy is a really fun player, all sorts of trick plays, throwing the ball as well, returner, uh, really fun player there. But I had a couple guys to pick in the Pac-12 here. I didn't know if I should go with some of the Oregon DBs or maybe Anzarike at Washington needs to produce, Frank Darby, and I'm stealing names from Dane right now. But I'm going to go with Walker Little at Stanford. You know, uh, only played in the one game last year, got injured in that first half of the Northwestern game. So he was going to come back, prolific player that's been on the field since his true freshman year. Just want to see where he's going to stack with some of the other tackles in this class. I know Penny Sewell is going to be OT1, but is Walker Little that next in in line there? Can he squeeze into the first round? Uh, And really just want to see how he recovers from that injury. You can talk about some of those defensive players next week when we we cover these guys, Ben. Dane, uh, who's your guy for the Pac-12? 
I'm going to talk about someone that Ben just mentioned, Frank Darby, who you know we talked about during our uh, Pac-12 preview. You know, Nikhil Harry with Brandon Ayuk last year. I mean, Arizona State has had that first-round pipeline at receiver, and I don't think Frank Darby was going to get to the first round. But with him being the guy, you know, the top receiver on that team, I thought he could get himself into that day two conversation. Uh, you saw some of that big play potential last year when teams and defenses started to realize, okay, we need to double cover this Brandon Ayuk kid. Okay, Frank Darby saw a few more targets his way, and he answered uh, in a big way. So not the biggest guy, but he runs well based off of what we've seen so far. He's, he could be a better player than what we've seen. So I, I was disappointed we won't be able to see him anymore at the college level. And it makes his uh, NFL evaluation a little tougher, but hopefully we see him at the Senior Bowl as well. Full disclosure, real quick, Fran. I didn't know we were sticking to just offensive players here. I mean, it was in the run, it was in the rundown. But I wasn't going to say anything. I can't be asked to read every word in these rundowns. You know, it's really more of a skimming thing. And Walker Little's technically a redshirt junior, so we're you know. <laughs> oh, I'm just breaking all the rules. Then. All right, then, then I wasn't going to say anything. So, but... Then maybe I'm not so sorry for my John Cooper pick. Maybe I'll just be the renegade every week here. Right? Yeah, I, I've come to expect that from you. But last question: Just talking about the pack. 12 of the big 10 guys just for for you guys like inside baseball standpoint for you guys has it affected your strategy when it comes to evaluating players for our purposes as we get closer to the season like i can tell you like me personally i've kind of pushed the pause button on evaluating any big 10 or pac 12 players that have not officially opted into the draft or opted out of the season yet uh just because i'm like all right i'm not gonna put any time into watching them until i know for sure they're going to be in this draft. There are hundreds of other guys uh, that I could spend time studying. Is that Have you guys taken similar approaches, or are you guys going like heavy into those conferences, knowing like, hey, I can watch this guy and put him to bed now and then not have to touch him again until April? How have you guys been approaching it? That's a good question. I guess I'm just not ready to give up on the season maybe, but <laughs> you know, still there's like 1% hope that they're going to figure this out, but it's not going to happen. I mean, yeah, I think because – you take a guy like Baron Browning, you know, I'm getting ahead to next week already, but, you know, yeah. Ohio State linebacker who needed this season to live up to the potential. I mean, I, I still want to do more work on him, but he might play in the spring. He might decide to go back for a fifth year uh, because he does need that on his resume. So it is it is tough. I, I think it's uh, – I won't be doing as extensive work on some of these guys as I normally would at this point in the process – but I'm probably still going to whet my appetite a little bit and just yep. at least get make sure I have a base understanding of who they are. I'm still trying to have a semblance of structure in my normal routine here. So my phase is I'm preparing for the season. So what that means is I'm all over the map and just trying to educate myself on the landscape of the teams, newcomers, stud freshmen, guys that were injured, transfers, and what's going on in college football. Not necessarily with the intent for the draft, but obviously the draft is always in the back of my mind and projecting forward. But right now I'm just trying to catch up with all the comings and goings heading into the 2020 season, whoever's on the field or not on the field, it's really tough to keep up with, but it's really the wild West right now, as far as preparing for the next couple of months, what to expect, what to prioritize. I have no idea, friend. <laughs> all right. So a few questions. I want to almost go rapid fire style. I don't, we don't need to spend too much time on each of these answers, but I want to get your thoughts on a handful of questions. Don't cut us short, friend. Don't yeah. cut us short. I'm just hoping that you read the questions, Ben. Well, I will reread them now uh, to get through it. All right, so Trevor Lawrence, Clemson quarterback. You may have heard of him. From Cartersville, Georgia, went to Cartersville High School. 
same high school as former Auburn running back Ronnie Brown. He was the second overall choice of the Miami Dolphins back in 2005. As we sit here today, knowing everything we know and knowing that we don't know everything because of everything that's going to happen in the next uh, you know, 10 months, does Trevor Lawrence get drafted before his fellow high school alumnus, Ronnie Brown? So basically, is he the number one pick when it's all said and done, whether it's next year or the year after? Yes. Absolutely. Even if we see a team like the Bengals or the Dolphins or another team that's set at quarterback end up with that top pick, I bet we see a trade. Uh, Basically, I I would be shocked if Trevor Lawrence is not the number one overall pick based on what we know right now. Obviously, injury stuff, if something were crazy were to happen. But based on what we know right now, I would be shocked. We're going to have to find some skeletons in this kid's closet for him to get outside of the top five. But spinning this back to Ronnie Brown, how about running 4-4-3 at 233 pounds? I know you're trying to spin this to now and Trevor Lawrence, but don't change me, Fran. We're talking Ronnie Brown, Auburn, huge height, weight, speed guy, 233 running the 4-4s. Impressive kid. I just love how you went the extra mile with the Ronnie Brown info, but couldn't get the, the seniors on offense from the Big Ten in Pac-12. We'll move on. We'll move on. I have my flaws. <laughs> uh, while we're talking big-name quarterbacks that are draft eligible, uh, Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports uh, reporting that North Dakota State is going to take on Central Arkansas later this fall, basically a display game for the quarterback, Trey Lance, who is going to be just a redshirt sophomore, one-year starter last year. When you see that, Ben, like, what is your first re- response when you see that? My first thought is, are they playing at Central Arkansas Stadium? Because that's the candy cane, silver, purple field. I hope so that could not, be the man. only tape to watch it. of Trey Lance here. So could be some chroma keying issues if you want to put some graphics on that field. These are the things going on in my head. Yeah, he's a nice player and all. But really, the field colors are where my focus are at right now. My first reaction is, what's the point? Right. I mean, that's if, if you're... Right if you're Trey Lance, you want to have one last hurrah with your teammates and go out the right way. And, you know, I get it, but what do you have to gain from this? If his goal is to enter the 2021 draft. Now, if he has not made a decision yet, or, you know, he's planning on going back to school, we, we don't know that. Uh, but if he does plan to enter the 2021 NFL draft, I, I just, I don't see how playing in this game could really help him if he does really well well guess what he was supposed to if he doesn't say he just has an off game then all of a sudden we're gonna poke more holes in him and then worst case scenario he gets injured and then all of a sudden he's not able to work out before the draft so if he plans to enter the draft or if even if he's leaning that direction personally I would advise him not to play but I get it he wants to play with his teammates one last time and so you know I think that's probably his main motivation it almost puts a pit in my stomach to hear him say one last hurrah this is a redshirt freshman last year. He's played one year. We're talking yeah. about last hurrah, sending him off. It's like, man, this kid just got started in his college career, but he had such a good year. It's like, okay, he's shown enough. Where's where's the next step? What's the next level? It's We get so excited about that potential and that projection. It's like you flash once in your first game. I'm probably retiring as a college quarterback and letting the scouts just use that game to project in all my potential at the next level. It's just crazy we're in that conversation. but kind of the state of college sports to me it's to what dane said like just as much can go right as can go wrong for for him in that situation it would be very very interesting to see what the decision would be if he's going to enter the draft like okay like am i going to play in this game or are they only doing it just for this purpose like it's 
It's, right. it's interesting. It's going to be, it's, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I wouldn't right. want to mess up my, my interception streak as well. He has not <laughs> thrown an interception in college football. And so I, I wouldn't want to screw that up either. No question. We talked about Trevor Lawrence a couple minutes ago and the first overall picks from the last three drafts. So Joe Burrow. Oh, lightning year. in a bottle guys. Yeah, yeah. Right. Joe Burrow, 2020, Kyler Murray in 2019, Baker Mayfield in 2018. All three of those guys were not in Trevor Lawrence's shoes. They were not considered to be the top picks heading into their final seasons on campus. Both Burrow and Baker Mayfield were seen as like mid to late round choices. Kyler Murray hadn't even started a game yet in college. So it's a little bit of a tall order, but only a handful of guys that I feel like this could apply to. Do you guys feel that there's anybody who's the, who's got the best chance to try and approach that kind of meteoric rise? Uh, is it even possible this year with all the circumstances being what they are with COVID-19? Ben, uh, I will go to you first. Is there anybody that kind of comes to mind saying like, yeah, I, I could see this guy making a jump? Well, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow. What's the trend of those three? All transfers. New scenery, you know, new coaching staff, new offenses. So I just feel for the guys – that have, you know, you know uh, new teams, KJ Costello, Mississippi State, Jamie Newman, Jake Bentley at Utah, his career at South Carolina didn't go as planned. Can he catch that lightning in a bottle with a new team or even maybe an unsung guy like a Peyton Ramsey that played a lot of Indiana now over at Northwestern. Sometimes it just takes that change of scenery, change of cast of characters, change of coaching for you to really hit your potential, hit your stride, have that one big season and suddenly you're an NFL prospect. Pick one, Ben. Is there is there one that you feel strong, like that you feel like, yeah, this could be the guy in this scenario that I feel like could make that jump? I'm going to go with Jamie Newman, just yeah. based off his height, weight, speed, ability, upside, arm strength. He has all the physical tools and physical makeup, I think, to be an exciting NFL prospect. Showed a lot at Wake Forest, now down in the SEC, some different weapons on the outside, different defenses. If he has a big year in the SEC, he could easily slide in the first round, maybe, you know, the front half of that first round. Dan, who would you settle with here? There are two guys that I that really stood out to me for different reasons. Kyle Trask at Florida. We, you know, I think most people know his story by now, like not playing in high school because he was the backup quarterback, still found his way to Florida, comes in last season and plays pretty well. And so you figure – the lack of on-field experience, um, you know, and that's, you know, Joe Burrow at Ohio State couldn't get on the field because he, you know, behind JT Barrett, the behind Dwayne Haskins. And so he goes to LSU and has a pretty average junior year. Okay, well, Kyle Trask couldn't get on the field in high school, was behind Derek King, goes to Florida, finally gets on the field last year as a junior, has a solid year, not terrible, not great. Now, can he take that next step as a senior? I mean, obviously that's, you know, a tall order to ask, but I think Kyle Trask, could possibly do that when you consider his just lack of experience and the fact that he showed promise last year. And then the other player who, and I think he's got an opportunity here, Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati, who think about what what, what kind of opportunities Cincinnati has this year. If we're able to play a full season, you know, obviously SEC, ACC, big 12, they're fighting now for those four playoff spots. Cincinnati has a program that could get one of those playoff spots this year if they go undefeated and it, it Desmond Ritter is the igniter of that offense. He's got the talent. It's just, can he be more consistent? Can he take better care of the football? Can he put it all together? Desmond Ritter could be that type of guy this year. Ben, you and I were just talking offline about uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats. You kind of went on, went down a rabbit hole watching some of those guys this year. Yeah, they have a really fun, nasty defense. They're really attacking. They also have a running back transfer, Jerome Ford coming over from Alabama. 
So that Cincinnati team's got some talent on them, especially in that backfield with Desmond Ritter. So to me, thinking about this topic, two names popped in my head. Uh, one of them was Kyle Trask, Dane. The other is the guy a wife. Like I, it was, it was one or the other for me. And I feel like Trask is a better player than this person right now. The other guy that I'm talking about is Sam Ellinger. And I feel like Kyle Trask is a little bit ahead of Sam Ellinger right now. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Sam Ellinger has the most room to grow. The more I watched Ellinger, the more I really liked him. He's athletic. He's really tough. Like the toughness really stands out watching him in all phases uh, of the position. You know, obviously, look, new receiving core. They've made some changes in the coaching staff, things like that. There are certainly some things that give you some cause or for concern. But I, I kind of like what I saw from Sam Ellinger. It would not shock me if he were to make a big jump. I'm not saying I feel like he would definitely be able to make it, but of the two names that really stood out to me in Trask and Ellinger, I felt like he was the guy uh, most likely to make that jump. Real quick, Fran, yeah, I think it'd be remiss to not, I don't want to stick with the transfers there, but a guy that nobody in the country is talking about, and I'm saying nobody is talking about, Okay. But Mac Jones at Alabama, he's a good-looking quarterback at yeah. 6'2", 215, that had come in for Tua in several games last year. Doesn't get any love, any credit, did his job throughout the week, had a start on a short week as well. Really interesting player. Doesn't have a whole lot of tools to get excited about. I don't want to call him the, the game manager type, but we've seen enough of those guys that are accurate, smart, um, you know, decisive, and have that poise. And this is a guy that's won big games in the SEC on the road. For the Alabama Crimson Tide, he's going to be the starter this year. A guy that really nobody is mentioning as far as being an NFL-type prospect. But you have a hot year at Alabama, maybe go undefeated, work your way into the playoff. Suddenly, you're a, you're a prospect. He was not in our SEC preview, right? So we didn't, we didn't talk about him last week. Returning, what, four of the five offensive linemen to the starting lineup. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. You got that run game with Najee Harris. Yeah. yeah pretty nice, yeah, pretty nice setup situation. for a quarterback there. Yeah, yeah that's a good situation. And, and – Offensive continuity for the first time in three years. The offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, still there for year two. Which You played uh, four seniors on the offensive line, too. Yeah. Like, this is a very rare veteran Alabama team. All right. You've kind of swung me. I, I think I might be. I, I might uh, like that pick there, Mac Jones. All right. Uh, I mentioned Najee Harris, and he would be a name that I feel like some people would bring into this conversation. Do we have a running back in the first round of 2021? I will say yes. In my top 50, I had two players make it in the top 30. The only two running backs to make it in my top 50, and both were in the top 30 between 25 and 30, Journey Brown from Penn State and Travis Etienne at Clemson. I don't know that both are going to get in there. I do think one of them will get in there. Journey Brown reminds me a lot of like a kind of like the Josh Jacobs trajectory where, you know, different circumstances. Josh Jacobs was just kind of, you know, part of a really crowded backfield and trying to get the touches where Journey Brown, you know, they went with more of a committee approach. And then last towards the end of last year, he really became the feature runner in that offense. And so not having that Big Ten season this year, you know, he doesn't have a chance to show that he could be the guy. He doesn't even have a thousand yards rushing in his career, but man, that talent is so good. And so I do think he has a chance to get in there. Travis Etienne, we know what he offers. Uh, Hopefully we'll see him this fall uh, on the field. And if he can get a little better in pass protection and be a little more consistent catching ball, the backfield, then I think he has a chance to move up a little bit. He's, I think right now he's in the, in the second round conversation has a chance to get in that late first. You know, I don't say this lightly, Dane. Journey Brown has some Ezekiel Elliott type flashes at times, Whoa. and they're very similar type body types as well, in my opinion. Just not in every down full-time player in that Penn State offense, like you had mentioned. Was excited to see that in 2020. 
now we're not going to see that. So really yeah. interested to see what that does to his stock. And I'm just not sure I see a running back sliding in. I think this is going to be 2013, 2014, where we didn't have any first round running backs. Those were the second round Bishop Sankey's and second round Giovanni Bernard type drafts. Uh, where there's a handful of backs going in the second round, especially in 2013 with five second round backs there. So I could definitely see, you know, Najee Harris and maybe Chubba Hubbard and, you know, maybe even a guy like Rakeem Boyd or somebody sliding into that day two conversation. But just do not see anybody in the first round uh, really warranting getting drafted in 2021. I think I'm more in your boat, Ben. I wasn't sure that any of the guys that I've done and all cards on the table, I have not done Journey Journey Brown yet, but I will say, Big fan of the Journey Brown because of the name of the podcast. You got to pound the brand there for Journey Brown. I'm but, trying to think of a guy that could really flash the upgate and upside in the pass game. Because right. that seems to be where the NFL wants that first yeah. round back, the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm just not really sure. I don't know if Puka Williams has enough of a butt to be that early down back for anybody. Can Kylan Hill catch 50 balls at Mississippi State and show off the ability to run and contribute on third down? Made himself on the freak list two years ago. Um, you know, some guys like that that I'm excited about their prospects of the season, but just not sure if anyone's going to squeeze into there. Kenneth Gainwell, I think, is a bona fide day two style of player. But, you know, with a hot season, anybody could slide into that first round. Guys, who's the second wide receiver off the board after Jamar Chase? Not who we grade as the second best wide receiver, but who do we feel would be the second off the board if every player that's eligible uh, were in this uh, in this draft? I think it a lot depends on what happens this season, but I think I would lean towards Jalen Waddle. Yeah, agree. Just because the 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 talents are so special. I mean, he, the way he can make guys miss, what he offers on special teams, it's not that different than like a Henry Rugg situation, who was just so fast and such a special athlete. Jalen Waddle's got some special to him uh, as well, and so if he can show just a little bit more details at the position this year, show he's growing. And he's not just a gadget guy, that he's not just an athlete playing the position, that he does have some some nuance to his game, then I think there's a good chance he ends up as a second receiver off the board. You know, after this guy stays healthy this year and catches 1,500 yards, everybody's going to want another one. And that's Hollywood Brown with the Ravens. And I'm thinking of Tutu Atwell with the Louisville Cardinals, dynamic speed, dynamic vertical threat, Mm. horizontal threat as well, all that gadget stuff. I just think he's absolutely going to take off as far as being a darling in the eyes of scouts and his ability with the ball in his hands. We've seen these types, you know, go early in the draft. I think he's a little more refined already than a KJ Hamler that went in the second round this past year to the Denver Broncos. I think much more of that middle of the first round, right where Hollywood Brown went. I feel like Waddle and Atwell, I mean, you're talking about both the, the X factor being that lightning speed, right? And, you know, just that dynamic ability that can be tough to find. We've seen the speed bump guys up the board. So even there are guys that are more refined. Uh, we've, we've seen those guys that have been a little bit more refined, like a Rashad Bateman uh, fall down a little bit in favor of that raw speed. So I would agree uh, with both of you guys there uh, in that case. All right. Last question I've got for you guys, because I don't want to keep it too, too long. Last year, we saw five tackles go in the top 20. The year before, in 2019, we saw three in the top 23. Do we match those numbers this year? Because it feels like Penny Sewell, obviously we know, lock top five, top 10, if you were to come out. It doesn't feel to me like we're talking about any other tackles as a lock in the top half of round one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there anybody else that we, got, that we see as like joining those guys who are lock offensive tackles? I don't think so. I, I mean, last year was so special at the position. 
you know, this year, I don't think it's going to come. I, I think they're on day two. There are some intriguing names, but in terms of like a top 20 offensive tackle, Sewell, I think could easily be the only tackle off the board in the top 20. Um, yeah. Now, if we ex- expanded to top 30, I, I think maybe Rayshon Slater gets in there. But even then, I, I, I think those two are the only two in my mind. Maybe Leatherwood can get up there if he shows more consistency this year, even though I think he's probably a better guard. You know, Samuel Cosme from Texas needs yep. to play better this year. I don't think he's I don't think he's quite in a top 20, top 30 conversation yet. I think he's on the outside looking in. And then a couple other guys that we're unfortunately we're not gonna be able to see this year. Uh like Abe Lucas of Washington State. I think he's gonna go back to school. Fale from uh, Minnesota. Uh, you know, he's a guy that needs another year of school before he tests the NFL water. So, uh, you know, Walker Little, who Ben talked about earlier, uh, as a guy that's just unproven at this point. So, I, I mean, I just went through, I think, my top five or seven tackles. And I don't, at this point, with what we know, I, I think Sewell is going to be the only top 20 tackle we see off the board. And then maybe Slater uh, could get in there with him in the first round. Cosby was the only one I felt like, yeah, like he could play his way into there. Yeah. And I thought that was the only one that I felt really, really strongly about Ben. Uh, what did you think there? Well, there's a couple of guys that always get that buzz right on the edge of the first round. Like the, the Niangs, Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland last year that all slid in that day two conversation. And, you know, I'm looking at guys like Liam Eckenberg at Notre Dame with a really strong year in his development. Can he squeeze into that 30 to 40 range or, you know, even a fair Munford at Ohio State, who's a really talented player, needs to stay healthy and put together a consistent season. Can he squeeze in that same back end of round one early day two conversation? But I think they're all kind of grouped together there. Like you mentioned, Abraham Lucas, Falele from uh, Minnesota, all in that conversation to potentially go there. Another guy like Koi Kronk. And Alaric Jackson at Iowa, you have strong, dominant years. You can move from that third round into that fringe first round, and suddenly, hey, maybe a team really needs to tackle the back end of round one. You end up with a Ryan Ramchek, and you have a you know a, a lockdown right tackle for the next ten years. That's actually the other the other name I should have mentioned was Falele, the, the Minnesota kid. I felt like is the other one that has that potential. Um, it's a shame we're not going to be able to see him this year, and I feel like he would be. Uh, he would be smart to go back for another year and really kind of improve that stock. A guy that big and moves like that. And, you know, we, we talked about it in the Big Ten preview. Make sure you go check that out. Um, follow Lele. Very, very impressive physical specimen. Well, guys, we're going to do this again next week. We're going to focus on the defense. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Excellent stuff there from both Dane and from Ben. And uh, we're going to be having awesome shows, awesome discussions, just like that every single week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, well, I alluded to it earlier that we were going to hit on a mock draft from one of our listeners, and that listener was Pauly-G underscore 77, said, love the podcast, been a listener for years now, always great to learn about these guys before the whole country is talking about them. Pauly, really, really appreciate you listening for as long as you have. He said he did a way too early mock draft. Let me know what you think. So this is for, I'm assuming it's for the Eagles. Um, now, looking at, at these picks, First round, Penn State edge rusher Jason Owe. We talked about him in our Big Ten preview a couple weeks ago. Uh, we are all very, very high on Owe. High, high potential, high, high upside with this kid. Uh, still some areas that he needs to clean up. Has never been a full-time player yet, really just a backup. So would love to see a full season. We talked about guys we would love to see a full season. He's an underclassman that I would love to see. Just go back for another year and, let, and let's see you as a full-time player. The physical tools 
are just really, I mean, they're drool worthy. He is a really impressive physical specimen. But on top of that, the flashes as a pass rusher are really, really good. Would just like to see him really kind of round his game out and just prove that he can be a full-time player. Second round, 56 overall, South Carolina corner, Israel Mukuamu. This kid is long. He is a tall drink of water. I, I mentioned him last week on the SEC podcast. Uh, he's like 6'3". He's over 200 pounds. I was at a South Carolina game a couple of years ago when he was just a true freshman, and I was down on the sidelines during warm-ups just kind of you know, body-typing guys and just getting a sense of uh, you know, how, how they're put together. And this guy, I wrote his name down. I, I was like, who is this kid? And he, he was a backup at the time, uh, ended up becoming a starter at safety for the, for the opener last year as a sophomore, then became a starter at corner for the final 12 games. He's long, but he's not a stiff. He, he, know, he can move pretty well. He gets in and out. He can run. He was a, a very productive player on the ball last year. I remember he had three picks and a touchdown against Georgia. Uh, really impressive player. Um, really, really long. The teams that really like uh, those big frame corners uh, will certainly be attracted to Israel Mukuamu. Uh, third round, 88th overall, Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross, who he is only falling to the third round of a draft because of the medical. We talked about the neck issue uh, that was discovered this summer, ended up getting surgery. Fingers crossed, you know, all prayers uh, out to Justin Ross that he's able to make a full recovery, is able to live a normal life, and then return to the football field would be great to see. He is a remarkable player. Uh, you, you look at the film on Justin Ross, and this guy has the ability to be an absolute stud in the NFL. You know, quote-unquote number one wide receiver, whatever term you want to throw at Justin Ross, he is the total package. He's got some things to clean up from a technical standpoint, but skill set-wise, really, really impressive player. That would be the only reason he would be in the third round. Otherwise, I mean, you're talking about top 15 type of talent, maybe even higher than that type of talent there with Justin Ross. After that, you get to the third day of the draft. A couple guys uh, that I have not studied, but I, I kind of know a little bit about. you got Florida State linebacker Amari Gaynor. Uh, you've got Northern Iowa tackle Spencer Brown, who I know I've talked with. I have not done him Spencer Brown yet, but I've talked with some scouts that have been through there that are really, really impressed uh, with what he can be at the next level. USC safety Tayanoa Hufanga, who I know Ben Fennel and Dane Brewer both have done. So make sure you go check out our Pac-12 podcast, our preview podcast from a few weeks ago, where we talked all about Hufanga uh, and his uh, teammate on the back end of that USC secondary. And then lastly, Clemson corner DK Kendrick, who I got to tell you, there is, I would be very shocked if DK Kendrick fell all the way this far. Even having only played the cornerback spot for one year after uh, moving over from wide receiver, his ability is through the roof. So even though, like to me, he's a first-round talent who, if he never played another down and had to enter the draft, uh, would probably go day two. He is a guy with very, very high upside. So uh, certainly some interesting names there. Polly, you did, some, did your homework, man. Really good stuff. Thanks so much for leaving the rating. Leave it the comment. We were able to hit on it here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Like I said, next week we'll be back talking all about some of the top defensive players in the country. Until then, we'll see you next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.